0: Welcome to the three martini lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Karambas of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up.
1: Very glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And I have to be honest, I actually nominated this one for crazy. But uh, Jim sees a uh, a good martini out of where I see insanity. So I, I look forward to this conversation. Uh, yesterday, Jim, all of a sudden, in the wake of this grand jury, apparently hearing the end of testimony in Fulton County, Georgia, about uh, you know the post-election efforts, by by Trump to challenge the results and so forth in 2020. And this woman's name is Emily Kors. She is the foreman of this grand jury. And as we'll hear in just a second, why she's going public with her thoughts is one major concern here, especially on the left, which makes this kind of fun. But she just seems like she's not wrapped real tight. Here she is with MSNBC talking about... Uh, what she was really looking forward to if Trump had come before the grand jury.
0: Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. Mm. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in, I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment.
1: And then over on CNN, Kate Baldwin's trying to get some clues as to how many indictments might be coming out of this grand jury. And while uh, uh, Ms. Corus doesn't exactly acquit herself here real well either.
0: There are indictments recommended, of course. Is it yes. more than 12 people? Is it more than 20 people? I think if you look at the page numbers of the report, there's about six pages in the middle that got cut out. Allow for spacing. It's not a short list. Not a short list. <laughs>
1: And as we said, the the, the left wing legal establishment kind of pulling their hair out because they think that uh, her going on TV is going to ruin the case against uh, a lot of these people, potentially. And so here's what Anderson Cooper and Ellie Honig, uh, former Justice Department official in the Southern District of New York, had to say about all this. This person is talking on TV. I do not understand. She's clearly enjoying herself. Yeah, um, but. I mean, is this responsible? She was the foreperson of this grand jury.
0: This is a horrible idea, and I guarantee you that prosecutors are wincing watching her go on this. I was wincing just (laughs) watching her eagerness to, like you know, hinted stuff. It's painful in that respect. This is a very serious prospect here. We're talking about indicting any person. You're talking about potentially taking away that person's liberty. We're talking about potentially a former president for the first time in this nation's history. She does not seem to be taking that very right. seriously. There's no reason for her to be out talking. No. I mean, there's a, right, it's okay. a prosecutor's nightmare. She, right. okay. Mark my words, Donald Trump's team is going to make a motion, if there's an indictment, to dismiss that indictment based on grand jury impropriety she's not supposed to be talking about anything really but she's really not supposed to be talking about the deliberations she's talking about what specific witnesses they saw what the grand jury thought of them she says some of them we found credible some of them we found funny I don't know why that's relevant but she's been saying we found this guy funny or interesting I think she's potentially crossing a line here it's gonna be a real problem for prosecutors
1: so Jim Your confidence in the justice system in this country is not going to be enhanced by watching interviews conducted by Emily Korn. You really have to watch them, too, because as crazy as she sounds in the bites, her Just body language in these things is very, very odd. Anyone who went to college knows a girl something like this, and you just kind of smiled and said hello, and you just keep moving because, you know, if you get started in a conversation, you might not see the end of it.
2: But uh, what do you make of
1: this whole media spectacle and, and what it means for the
2: larger question here? Greg, your description there reminds me of a character that Cicely Strong would play on Saturday Night Live. I believe the title was, girl at a party that you immediately regret talking to. (laughs) Um, And that does seem to describe the persona pretty well. Look, I am open to the argument that former President Donald Trump has committed a crime at some point in the uh, aftermath of the 2020 election, or I guess during his presidency. Uh, But I think if you're going to indict a former president, boy, you'd better have smoking gun evidence. You'd better have an ironclad, irrefutable case. It had better be serious. It had better be The sort of thing that is, you know, that that a country would find indisputable and incontrovertible. In fact, I'm kind of skeptical that you'll find something there about what happened in Georgia. You know, when you say, "Oh, you know," when Trump told, uh, you know, the Secretary of State to find me the votes, you know, is that covered by the First Amendment or not? Are we going to now be in the business of indicting former presidents for saying things like that? I think you're potentially going down a very dangerous road, which is why I don't want a ticky-tacky technical or you know, very sketchy, exaggerating the scope of existing law kind of indictment. So the grand jury has been met, and today's Morning Jolt walks through uh, the process of a grand jury, and the fact that they don't have to be anonymous, and it's worth noting that there is no defense attorney, there is no cross-examination, this is basically just the prosecutor laying out, here is our belief that this person has committed a crime, here's the evidence we have, here are the witnesses we want you to hear from. And all you, the grand jury, have to decide is, do you you think there's enough evidence here to charge a person for a crime? They're not deciding, is this person guilty or not? It's a slightly different question and a slightly lower standard. And the grand jury came back, and it came back with recommendations for perjury. Trump did not testify, so it certainly looks like that, although I have heard from one or two lawyers who said, well, it doesn't quite completely eliminate the possibility of Trump getting indicted. The rules for a grand juror is that they are, the deliberations are supposed to be secret, but otherwise they are free to talk to the media. You just almost never see a grand jury, a grand juror decide to go and do not quite the full Ginsburg, as they used to call it, of doing all the Sunday <laughs> shows, but doing Associated Press, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, New York Times, CNN, and MSNBC. And in these, she has not quite talked about the deliberations. She's kind to of gone right up to that line, and she's laid out a great deal of the details, And some of those details are just kind of odd, the idea of this, you know, getting a a ninja turtle pop from a party that was thrown by the prosecutor. And people are pointing out the prosecutors and the jury are generally supposed to be interacting only in a professional manner, not in some sort of like, you know, after hours, fun office party sort of thing. Um, And it just is it's really not done. And it gives Trump's lawyers a lot of opportunities to say this was improper procedure or the people involved were biased. The general consensus amongst lawyers is that it's not automatic that a judge would then dismiss the case or declare a mistrial or something like that. But it's not unthinkable. It now gives them a legitimate argument of, hey, all this stuff is going on, and we have the jury for person who's going out and doing this, and it all again, remember, the grand jury can essentially recommends to the prosecutor, yes, we believe there's evidence of a crime here. The grand jury itself does not decide. The prosecutor has to decide. But by going off and doing this PR you know effort, this grand tour, you know the four persons is essentially essentially saying to the prosecutor, "I expect you to put out these indictments," uh, which is not really the role of the grand jury uh, in this, certainly not this kind of public role and everybody who's a former prosecutor is basically describing this as a nightmare this is not what you want to see and the trump team is just elated they are just celebrating they cannot believe their luck i think this says a great statement about the state of our society that you know the old andy warhol saying that everybody will be famous for 15 minutes greg that was I as i understand it and by the way there's some people who dispute whether andy warhol ever actually said it that was supposed to be a complaint a lament it was not a declaration Of a new constitutional right that every american should expect um and that when you are involved in something like a grand jury investigation of a former president you're not supposed to see that as your opportunity to enjoy your 15 minutes of fame yes what you're doing is big and consequential and if she went off and did this after the case was resolved i really wouldn't have that much of a problem with it Uh, we've seen a couple of the oj simpson murder trial jurors eventually talk to the media. once the case is over, I don't think there's necessarily um anything morally or legally uh, wrong with a juror talking. But while the case is still going on, then it is very much a different story. So I kind of feel like the the you know folks who wanted to get Trump in this situation, uh, are all kind of hoist on their own petards here, that that basically this entire culture that tells people that you're supposed to be famous, that this is huge, and all of the media that are very eager to talk to these people and love to cover the story of the indictment of Donald Trump, the next trial of the century, the very bright Noah Bloom observed that on his Twitter feed, there was an MSNBC promo for her interview, followed by a, uh, a tweet touting a op-ed written by a former prosecutor who talked about what a disaster this was and how she should not do these interviews. And he saw a contradiction there. And it's not the craziest contradiction, you know, like, yes, it is kind of odd that they're promoting both. On the other hand, the former prosecutor who's writing this column for MSNBC doesn't book the guests, is not a producer for the show. And likely had no role in the decision to do this. So actually, just as you see different views at National Review and other publications, I don't think there's anything wrong that two people at MSNBC have different views on the propriety of her doing these interviews. Anyway, I just think it's kind of, you know, you're, you're watching a lot of folks on the left who were absolutely convinced. The walls are closing in, Greg. They're going to get him this time. This is it. This is it. And they're watching it all potentially get blown up by a 30-year-old woman between jobs who is convinced this is her moment to become a star. Just
1: trying to figure out who else was on this grand jury who's thinking, you know who should be the foreman? (laughs) Emily. Or it could be, I don't want to do it. Let's
2: have Emily do it. Greg, I went through the interviews. (laughs) And so she said, first of all, the interesting thing is that if you're in the grand jury, you don't need to show up every single day, which kind of surprised me. You you, you make it as you can make it. Most of these people have jobs. Most of these people don't particularly enjoy coming in all the time. Uh, remember, also on a grand jury, you don't need every member. Usually, I guess there's anywhere from like 17 to 23 of them. You need 12 of them. to It doesn't need to be unanimous. So it sounds like it was she, she was there for every day and she was selected to be the foreman because she could be there every day because she's between the jobs. Greg, I'm not sure she had that much better to do. And she gushes about how exciting this is. I, I'm sure this is <laughs> for her and her life. Everybody else, they had other things they wanted to do. You know, the the old Dennis Miller joke that it's really scary than the criminal justice system. Your fate is in the hands of 12 people who couldn't find a good reason to get out of jury duty. (laughs) Wow.
1: The left, they're not sending their best. (laughs) The fact that the prosecutor probably got caught flat footed by this is uh, entertaining as well. But we'll see how it all unfolds. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini. Also a twinge of crazy, perhaps. Some say good. Uh, but we're putting in the bad martini today. There is a new entrant into the Republican presidential field. And it's not a name that was on many lips in the GOP or anywhere else until this week. Uh, although he's uh, you know, had a growing profile on the right. His name is Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, He is a first-generation American. Uh, His parents are from India. He is already a billionaire at the age of 37 years old. After graduating from Harvard, he founded a biopharmaceutical company known as Roivant Sciences. Hopefully I'm saying that right. He's spoken out a lot against woke culture, uh, and he's also uh, had a lot to say about other issues in announcing his presidential run on Tucker Carlson the other night. Uh, In a tweet, he says he wants to eliminate affirmative action, dismantle climate religion, have eight-year limits for federal bureaucrats, shut down worthless federal agencies, declare total independence from China, annihilate the drug cartels, make political expression a civil right, uh, and revive merit and excellence. So In addition to the anti-woke stuff, I'm sure there's plenty that he's saying that a lot of folks on the right uh, would agree with. But, Jim, your point here for putting this in the bad martini is you got to have a little experience maybe when it comes to wanting the most difficult job in the world.
2: Yeah, so the Wall Street Journal editorial board has a piece on him today. And I think it's a really – he announced it in the Wall Street Journal. And I think it's a really fair, relatively welcoming response to – Uh, Ramaswamy. Because campaigning for the White House has become a vanity project for some people who have no chance. See Marianne Williamson and Dennis Kucinich. Mr. Ramaswamy will have to persuade voters that he's more than that, as well as overcome doubts about his relative youth. Then again, many voters may prefer the hope of youthful energy over the age and experience of the last six years. Again, Ramaswamy is a bright, accomplished guy very conservative I do when I see his list of things he wants to do I get a, a vague feeling of this is exactly what people want to hear we're going to do it we're going to shut down the fentanyl smoke traffic well I, I welcome any president who prioritizes it but it's not just a matter of saying it right I'd like to see more about a plan what, what, what are you going to do different that's being done so far um I'm glad that he's you know the, the question is you know, this is not just you know what can you say that will most please Fox News viewers do you actually have an ability to run the executive branch of the government? And you know, the, the success in private sector, look, that's great, that's good, that's I prefer a candidate that has that, that doesn't have that. But again, as we've seen, not just from the Trump presidency, but really all kinds of businessmen who step into the presidency. Or as Harry Truman had observed of Dwight Eisenhower, you know, he said, Oh, he's gonna expect people to do this, do that, he expects people to do that, and it's not gonna work that way. Working with the legislature, working with a, I, I basically I wrote a very similar stuff about Wes Moore, the uh, new governor of of Maryland, a Democrat who has an indisputably impressive life story and resume. Grew up from poverty, ended up uh, serving, you know, uh, Harvard, Oxford, Rhodes Scholar, ended up joining the military, joined the 82nd Airborne, served in combat in Afghanistan, then went to Wall Street, ran this giant charity. Like he's got a really impressive. He's just never done anything in government already you can find Democrats saying Wes Moore should run for president hey how about we see how he does as governor first governing is the job all the other stuff nice rhetoric impressive life story all that that's all good to have Ramaswamy brings a lot of things to the table that are good to have but the job ultimately is to run the executive branch and as we're seeing for multiple presidents that's tough that's really challenging does he have some good ideas yes The other complication here is that if Ramaswamy is going to be up there on that stage, Greg, is there any good reason why, say, our old former guest Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, shouldn't be up on that stage? Once you say to anybody who's conservative, well-known, and has a certain amount of money uh, and a decent amount of name recognition, but not a ton, is there any reason that any statewide GOP official who wants to run for president shouldn't throw their hat in too?
1: Well, there's usually an absurdly low uh, polling Threshold to get in there, right? Like a fraction
2: of a percent, or maybe one percent,
1: depending on the situation. Yeah,
2: and my sneaking suspicion is is that a bunch of people who may have been leaning against are going to look and say, "Well, wait a second. If Ramaswamy thinks he's got a shot, why shouldn't I jump in? Why should? Why not me?" As uh, the what was then a parody campaign autobiography written by Al Franken asked. Years later, we would see from Senator Al Franken, there are good reasons why not you. <laughs>
1: Let me throw the uh, opposing arguments you're likely to get here, the most obvious being that Joe Biden's been in Washington for 50 years. (laughs) How's that one working out? And we've had some others uh, along the way. Uh, As much as a a nice guy he was, I think a lot of Republicans would say that George H.W. Bush was a disappointment on certain issues, tax cuts most prominently, but some other ones as well, including his first Supreme Court choice of of David Souter Um, and you know
2: that the career politicians are not the answer so what do you say uh, a that? fair complaint and I don't want someone to be who's a uh, career politician um I think you know the question is not just you know has Joe Biden been in a lot of government jobs it's what's he done in those government jobs um but also we've seen you know one of the big story look one of the defining stories you could argue of the Trump presidency was the quote unquote deep state and the degree to which the federal bureaucracy and in some cases some cabinet officials and lots of people within the federal government did not want to enact the policies that Donald Trump was proposing and Donald Trump's short attention span, erratic tendencies and lack of follow through. Um, now, I think, you know, Ramaswamy has a lot more, uh, much better instincts in this area. And one of the things he's talking about is an attempt to change the civil service, an attempt to change the federal bureaucracy. Yes, you can see echoes of what I've said in the weed agency and, and you know past work. Um, but my suspicion is that a lot of people come. I, I remember, you know, Howard Dean, when people would say, How are you going to do this? And he would just kind of restate what his goals were. He would not actually lay out a plan. Here's how I'm going to do this. Also, of course, almost every single presidential candidate just assumes that they're going to have a House and Senate that are completely compliant and eager to act, carry out their changes exactly the way they want. Um, it, you know, I think a lot of people who run for president kind of operate in this unrealistic dream world where they're going to be able to get to do everything they want to do, and it's going to be a matter of, you know, a very simple matter there. Ideally. If you've been a governor and you've you know, had some fights with the state legislature before or maybe you've been in the Senate or you've been in some sort of area, you're familiar with it. You have at least some idea of what you're getting into when you go in instead of getting in there, being president, and then sitting there after a year or two and wondering why hasn't the federal government I, – I gave all the executive orders. Why isn't anybody
1: following them? No, that's an interesting uh, debate that that's likely to happen here, and uh, we'll see if he gets up on the uh, debate stage. Uh, now that he's in, he's the second candidate already on the Republican side, whose parents came from India, Nikki Haley, of course, uh, being the other. I will say there's a challenge for him, Jim. Uh, as someone who's run for student office uh, with the last name of Karambas, it's harder to remember than easier names. So we've got to <laughs> be ready for that. Uh, people might not uh, uh, glom onto it quite as quickly. So uh, just a tip there for uh, Mr. Ramaswamy. Tell your <laughs> You're gonna mommy to, to
2: vote for Ramaswamy or something like that. A <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Slogan like that. So. You've got to get that name ID way up. That's probably one of his biggest challenges right now. All right, on to our second great sponsor for the day, and that is Liver Health. Look, if you're uh, trying to figure out whether to get in and you got the RNC trying to figure out how many debate stages they're going to need, they might be drinking a little bit. Uh, or if you're just not you know, having the best diet these days, it's all making your liver work harder. In fact, the American Heart Association says that adults with fatty liver... We're three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. 100 million Americans have fatty liver, so take care of it, and now
2: you can. There's a solution, and it's called Liver Health Formula. It's an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that will help recharge and protect your liver. It's manufactured right here in the U.S., and it's approved by American doctors. You can try Liver Health
1: Formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll get a free bottle of nano-powered omega-3 to keep your heart healthy. You're also going to get four free e-books to support every aspect of your health. So try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com martini and claim your five free bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com martini. All right, Jim. It's time for a George Santos update here in our crazy martini. This is from Politico. It says, One of George Santos's first acts as a candidate for Congress in 2019, because he did run in 2020 and, and lost, uh, according to his campaign finance filings, was making a series of four-figure donations from his campaign to a pair of local Republican groups and President Trump's re-election committee. But according to those groups' own filings, the contributions were never received and may not have been donated. The purported donations included $2,800 to Trump's campaign that isn't reflected in his campaign finance disclosures, and would have exceeded contribution limits if it did happen, as Santos's campaign reported it. The now congressman's campaign reported dispensing thousands more to local groups that did not report receiving the money in filings with the New York Board of Elections, and so. Jim, I mean, at this point, uh, I don't think anybody's going to be shocked like the authorities in Casablanca uh, that this turned out not to be true. The question now, of course, is um, whether there's uh, charges to be filed here because lying about campaign
2: finance issues uh, is against the law, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it, it is a really unusual defense. I've contributed an unbelievable fortune to these candidates. Well, actually, that would then, you know, go beyond the campaign contribution limits and you violated the law. Ha, gotcha. I never made those contributions. (laughs) The joke's on you. I've been lying this entire time. Ha ha. Who looks foolish now? (laughs) I mean, with this, you know, I assume this will get investigated. I, I think people have talked about how it feels like a circus or it's too stranger than fiction and all that kind of stuff. But I do think uh, people are very un- understandably very cynical about politicians, and they say, you know, po- all politicians lie, and yeah, they all make you know promises they know they'll never keep, and all that stuff. And people have compared George St- Santos's uh, uh stories to Joe Biden insisting that he grew up effectively Puerto Rican and he went to a Baptist church every day after he went to Catholic mass, and you know. As he said uh, recently in Poland, he felt like he should add uh, Ski after his name because he was so close and was effectively raised by the Polish-American, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah, we get it. But I think what Santos illustrates is that once you become known for your lying, then nobody really believes you when you say anything, even if you say something that's true. And you really become almost impossible to work with, that there's not a single person on Capitol Hill, Republican or Democrat, who's begging George Santos to come co-sponsor is legislation. If you're holding a press conference touting a need to focus on a certain issue, you don't want George Santos there. If George Santos went out and said fentanyl is a terrible uh, scourge upon this country, people might start thinking, "Wait, are we sure? How certain can we be?" Right? You know, um, George Santos is his w- own walking attack ad against himself. He is self refuting. Nobody believes him on anything anymore. He is the boy who cried wolf. He is, uh, you know, perceived to be the person who may have scammed a veteran out of uh money that was supposed to you know surgery for the dog to save the dog from cancer he's just the worst and i think you reach a certain point where, like nope like jim traficant i think it was right after he had indicted he continued to work in in congress or refused to resign but at some point you just become too scandal-ridden too disgraced too much of a pariah to be effective um now unfortunately he will not be up for re-election until november 2024. um i don't know if there's any particular recall, recall effort the way there is for certain state offices um, and, you know, and he clearly will refuse to, you know, resign. So I think the only way that which he could be expelled from the house, I mean, the, the house could try to expel him as is most likely this would occur after an indictment or after a conviction or something like that. But, um, you know, there, he's just kind of decided that hanging on no matter what is worthwhile. And, um, I'd like to say this is unprecedented it's ridiculous and it's never going to work out for you. But, uh, Greg, I guess our former governor, Ralph Northam, might agree. Yeah, he'll, <laughs> he'll teach him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is hardly uh, unique. Although the
1: volume of it uh, uh, is is different than a lot of the lying politicians we talk about. Uh, I just saw some of the first early House projections are out. They're saying it's a toss up, and you know, big surprise, it was very close uh, in twenty twenty two. And the George Santos seat is listed as a toss up seat, and I'm assuming. That that's if he loses the primary, which I assume he will have. I can't imagine that that would be considered a nail-biter if he's, in fact, the Republican nominee. But you never know. It is a swing district, but uh, it's hard to see him having a real good shot at re-election.
2: No, I, obviously. And uh, I think there'll be a lot of people who will volunteer <laughs> to, to get rid of him. Probably in the Republican primary as well. Uh, the local Rep- Republican primary is up in Long Island, have said he's terrible. So, again, at this point, this is just dragging. This is peeling off the Band-Aid as slowly as possible and um, just kind of exasperating that we live in a world where this is. Hey, uh, Greg, is it Friday yet? No, tomorrow though is.
1: Yeah, so that's exciting. Anyway, Jim, (laughs) we've gotten through a lot of weird stuff today. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already and please tell a friend about us as well. Uh, We also thank you for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please, please keep those coming. Also, uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us both on Twitter. Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Thursday and join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.